Welcome to the Mind on My Money podcast presented by Pinnacle Trust. Hosted by RebelGrove.com publisher Neil McCrady and Pinnacle Trust financial guru Martin Palomo, the Mind on My Money podcast tackles the financial questions we're all thinking about. From paying for college to saving for retirement, from life insurance needs to 401ks and everything in between. The goal is to help you take the stress out of financial concerns and give you some tips to enjoy life while your mind is on your money. Now here are your hosts, Neil McCrady. And Martin Paloma. Welcome to another edition of Mind of My Money Podcast. It's in about Pinnacle Trust. I'm Neil McCready, Martin Paloma with me today as always. Um, we're going to talk about some of the latest uh, volatility with the stock market, all the GameStop stuff, the AMC stuff that I don't completely understand. I know a lot of you don't either. Even those of us who have little E-Trade accounts on the side and we play around with it, I'm not really sure what's going on so maybe martin can sort of explain it to us also the uh, volatility of bitcoin continues and for people like me who don't understand that either and are smart enough to just stay the complete hell away from it it is an interesting story to sort of follow anyway we'll get to uh, those topics and more first let me tell you that i'm coming to you from the clark ford studios 662-257-1900 is the number call it ask for Corey clark Tell Corey what uh, Ford product you're looking for. He'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. It's right to the bottom line. There's no hassle, no haggle. You get your quote, and the rest is completely up to you. You can shop that quote around. You can do what I've done, and let's hop into a Clark Ford today. You'll love the vehicle. You'll love the service. Uh, Corey always talks about wanting to be your car guy, wanting to be your truck guy. People say, what does that mean? Call the number. You'll start to find out, 662-257-1900. And, Martin, before we get started, tell the people about Pinnacle Trust. Yeah, <clears throat> happy to be back on, Neil. Um, I know we've had a, a couple of stops and starts, and life sometimes has been a little wild on our side. <clears throat> you know, one of the things that we uh, we are doing is, um, you know, as as the world changes, we are we are doing some adaptations at Pinnacle as well. So we're doing a couple of upgrades. Um, we'll be releasing some more information about that. You know, in the next couple of months, I'll be excited to talk about it. Um, but anyway, you know. One of the things that has been kind of wild, well, this has been a wild year already, and we're only, you know, a month into the year. Um, you know, some of it being what you alluded to, you know, we'll talk about today with AMC, with stop, with, you know, what's going on in Bitcoin? Why is that relevant again? Um, you know, we had Marcos on at the end of the year or beginning of the year. We taped the end of the year of 20. It published the first day uh, of 21. And it's funny, we'll talk a little bit about that as well, um, you know, in the show. But, uh, you know, one of the things that has returned is all of the fluctuation. The volatility is, is back into the markets. There's been a lot of headline news. So it feels like we're on the roller coaster again. Um, you know, and the best thing that folks can do is is have a plan and, and stick to it. And I realize it's hard to do by yourself. So, you know, for our listeners that are, you know, again, they're either tired of doing it on their own or, or they're not getting much from their advisor, um, you know, give us a shot. We'd love to talk 601-957-0323, uh, or you can reach us in at PINNtrust.com. Um, we're also, you know, we're active on social media, our Facebook page, either the Pinnacle Trust page or Mind on My Money. Um, you can a- ask your questions there. We'll be happy to answer it and follow up. So I won't belabor any more, my friend, because I know um, we got a little bit of time and you want to just go ahead and let's Let's launch into uh, into the show. Yeah. So, uh, 
I'm, I'm smart enough to let professionals manage my retirement money, but I do take a little bit and play. I have a little E-Trade account that I play with. Um, not much. I have a limit on it. And if I ever hit that limit and I hit zero, I'm done. Um, <laughs> but I, I watched with interest all the AMC stuff that I guess is still sort of going on, the, the, uh, the GameStop stuff, the, uh, the Bitcoin stuff with Dodge to the moon and all of those things last week. And I caught myself, uh, I, 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 was, I was in Fayetteville with both of my girls, and I told them both, I said, you know, I hope that when you guys are my age, you'll understand the stock market better than I do. You'll understand what all of this stuff means about shorts and uh, short sells and, and, and um, all of that, because I, I really don't. I mean, it's, it's, it's a reflection. It's a poor reflection on me. It's a poor reflection on a liberal arts education uh, where they, you don't you just don't get any real world life skills. It's one of the, I think it's one of the reasons that there's so many people that are like me that don't really understand how stocks and money work. Um, and it's one of the reasons that so many people are out there uh, with some of the crazy political policies that I think they have. Regardless, guide, if you would, and try not to get in the weeds here, try not to get too wonky, put it in layman's terms, what exactly was happening and is happening with, uh, with some of those stocks that were creating such news over the course of the last seven to ten days. Yeah, um, and I think I think we can I think we can talk about telling into like you know over people's heads or or into the weeds really really deep. But I do think people do do need to understand and and do at a real basic level how you know how you make money in investing, not just in you know markets and stocks and things like that, but you know whether it's a business or uh, real estate or a car or whatever it is that you know that that you're investing in the the whole premise, which is the really simple part, is you know buy low and sell high. Correct. That's generally at the basic premise. The how you successfully invest. You buy at a lower price than you sell it at. Um, so let's just talk about real briefly. We'll talk about what kind of happened with this word that that people are be- becoming accustomed to. Um, you know now, which is which is the word short. So that really um, that that's 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 a definition for, you know, what position you're, you're taking. And we'll use GameStop as an example because that's the one that, that's been had, that's had the most uh, news lately. So if you go back to the whole premise of buy, buy low, sell high, those same principles apply with, with shorting. But let's just say that, you know, you and me are buddies, Neil, and, um, and you have GameStop, right? You own the GameStop stock. Okay. So you're hoping that, you bought it at a low price and at some point you're going to sell it at a much higher price. So let's just say you bought it at $10 and you hope you're going to sell it at a hundred. Okay. So you make a, you make 90 bucks yep. per share Got it. Um, on the stock. Everyone gets that, right? Yep. Very, so very shorting is, is the exact same except for, let's say that you own the stock and me and you are buddies. And I say, Hey Neil, um, can I borrow you know, a hundred shares of your game stock. I promise you I'm going to return a hundred shares back to you. And you say, Hey man, all right, Martin, I'll let you borrow a hundred shares. And let's say that GameStop is, is trading at, you know, a hundred dollars a share. Just let's keep the math really, 
be really simple. It's a hundred dollars a share. So I borrow that that uh, hundred shares from you, and I sell it immediately. So I make you know a hundred dollars uh, immediately. I sell the stock. I make a hundred bucks per share, and I have a hundred thousand dollars, right? But at some point, I have a promise to you that I'm going to return those hundred shares back. Well, what my hope is, if I'm on the short side or I've short sold that stock, my hope is that that stock is going to go down to $10. And then I'm going to buy that stock back at $10 a share. So $10 times 100 is is $1,000, right? And I'm going to go, hey, Neil, thank you for letting me borrow your stock. Here's your 100 shares back. So I sold it. At ten thousand, I, I sold it at a hundred dollars a share and made ten thousand, and I bought it back at ten dollars a share, and so I paid a thousand dollars for it. So, so I that, get to that keep other the ninety thousand dollar different. That other right? ninety dollars per share. It's the same. Is, okay. Yeah, it's the same. In you know, in a normal transaction, I just did the order in reverse. Instead of buying it first and selling it later. I borrowed it from you and I sold it first to buy it back later at a lower cost. Make sense? Oh yeah, I totally get it. I I, I totally understand. Cool. So so what created the chaos was what So what created the chaos was when people said, "Okay, well now it's time to buy it back." The stock still was really high and they had to, they they had to go borrow money to buy it back, right? Yeah. So so the the risk that you have when you when you when you buy a stock the normal way that's called being long you buy it first with the intentions of selling it later the maximum amount of loss that you can that you can have in that stock is you know is what you paid for it and then it go to zero so if you pay $10 a share and it goes to zero your maximum amount of loss is $10 per share Got it. Well, so if I buy a stock, if on the for, short if I buy side, a- your maximum amount of loss is unlimited, and that's kind of what we saw with GameStop. Is you know, um, these guys, you know, Melvin Capital and the hedge fund managers, and that's the world that I came out of in DC. So I understand how that works really, really well. Um, the you know, they probably shorted the stock at twenty dollars, so they went, they borrowed it, sold it at twenty bucks, thinking, hey. GameStop is a blockbuster 2.0. It's going to go out of business. They didn't change their model and they're going to die. You know, Netflix put blockbuster out of business. Redbox put blockbuster out of business. You know, I don't know if you ask your son may not play video games. Mine does. And I asked him cause he was asking me about GameStop and I just asked him, Hey dude, when, um, when you go buy a new game on your Xbox or your PlayStation or whatever it is that he has, I'm like, how do you how do you buy your games? And I knew the answer, but he does it digitally because I get the bills for it, right? Like I'll see that, hey, Christopher's wallet is down to zero, and if he wants to buy games, like Dad, can we put you know fifty bucks in my wallet or twenty five bucks in my wallet or whatever? And that's how he purchases. A lot of the games he plays are are free on through a subscription on uh on his PlayStation or Xbox. So they have effectively killed the the GameStop type model. So, you know, these guys at Melvin Capital aren't the enemy per se. Um, you know, they're looking at it going, hey, this is an opportunity. We see this is overvalued and long term it's gonna it's gonna 
go down even further. And so they're just trying to make money for their clients. And I know, you know, these forums tried to make um, really bad guys out of hedge fund managers. And I'm not saying that, you know, they aren't, you know, super wealthy and, you know, they have, they quote unquote made their fortunes on the back of American business. But, you know, if you look at a lot of, like when I went to Cambridge, a lot of my, a lot of our clients were college endowments, um, municipal pension funds, whether it was state employees, you know, firefighters, uh, police officers, teachers, um, you know, the Smithsonian was one of our clients. Uh, so it's like, you know, the end clients of these, of these funds are not the bad guys. A lot of times they're, you know, they, they do good things in our, in our community. So, you know, the, the people who get, who got hurt, in all of this are really two. It's those end investors because the hedge fund managers already were millionaires or, and they'll make their millions anyway. Um, and then all of the Robin hood guys who helped bid that price of AM, I mean, game stock from $20 a share up to 500. Those guys are going to that. Well, they're already losers because it's trading at like $60 a share today. So whoever the last few investors that, well, anyone that bought it above $60, and didn't sell has lost. And most, most investors are not buying GameStop. So it's, you know, a lot of it is the, you know, the little guys or the Reddit group guys, or, you know, maybe some young folks that are just trying to catch a fad and didn't realize they're going to get on the sharp side, other side of the kebab knife and get, you know, and get murdered. Um, they're the ones that get hurt. I kind of think of it like fight club, <laughs> you know, fight club, everyone goes in, they beat each other up to feel alive. And in the end, they walk, walk out with black eyes and bloody noses and, you know, and they just hurt themselves. So, so that's did, ultimately, were you, were you that's in, kind of, were you in, the, are you hearing me? Okay. Yeah. Okay, good. Am I, am I breaking up and busting up bad? No, it's, it's okay. Um, so are, I, I take it you're in favor of, of what was kind of done to regulate some of that to limit people being able to buy as many shares as they want, as they could afford or whatnot. I mean, there was a lot of kind of, felt like government control came in on that. And what it led yeah. to is it led to a lot of people saying, hey, the stock market's fixed, which is a, a an awfully big world, word in the world that I live in in sports. When you say <laughs> something's fixed, that means that the outcome's predetermined. Uh, what were your thoughts on just the way it was regulated last week? Well, and I think that the regulations were already, you know, regulations are already in place for, um, you know, for market makers or for the term that we, the technical term for what like Robin Hood and E-Trade, <clears throat> excuse me, and all these, um, you know, companies are is called a broker dealer. They custody, <clears throat> excuse me, man, I'm sorry about that. They custody, you know, are your, your investment. So if you buy GameStop on Robin Hood, um, you know, Robin Hood holds the GameStop stock. Um, but if you're, you know, if you're, if you're shorting it also, they, they hold the positions there. So they have some risk as well that, that there's, um, not going to be the money to actually settle the trades from client accounts. So the people who, who ended up, you know, buying on margin, and that's a big word. Margin means you borrowed money to buy stock. And a lot of people do that on, you know, on E-Trade or Schwab or Robinhood or any of these, you know, interactive brokers, a lot of these electronic sites if 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 stocks are bought on borrowed money and you know let's say you bought it at 400 GameStop stars a share 
and but you borrowed and you bought you know a hundred shares that's <clears throat> what forty thousand bucks right so if you borrowed forty thousand bucks to buy gamestop and all of a sudden it's trading at a hundred now that forty thousand is worth ten and you bought it on borrowed money so their risk is that you don't have the money to pay back the loan that you used to buy the stocks. And so that was, that was kind of what happened to, um, in some senses with one of the reasons that, uh, Robin hood had to halt the trading on it is the risk for that, for that individual name elevated extremely high. And their counterparty said, Hey, we are not comfortable with how much risk you have on the table in these stocks. We need you to make some deposits some cash deposits with us so that we know that all these trades are going to, these cash trades are going to settle. And that's why Robinhood had to go raise more money. Um, you know, as far as, you know, the regulation of where I'm really curious about, and this may never shake out and I may be the bad guy for saying this. I'm curious the, the fellow that they interviewed that is the, you know, founder of this Reddit forum, the wall street bets. He's my age. He, you know, works for, for Mass Mutual Insurance Company, I'm sure he's a portfolio manager. Really, really smart guy, um, and said he was a, a CFA, which is a certified financial analyst. So the guy's not an idiot, right? Um, there's an ethics, a huge ethics piece to the CFA designation that talks about that you know you won't front run. Front run means that you buy, uh, you know, I buy a stock at five dollars, and then I go tell all my buddies or my clients, hey, you need to buy this stock, and then they start piling in after me. And the value of my stock goes up. So I was able to get in before everyone else. And then I went and either made trades on in my client's accounts on behalf, which he didn't because he didn't, he wasn't trading for clients, but he had a 3 million, I mean, a 3 million follower page, um, you know, where people started piling into it. I'll be interested to see, does he get nailed for front running? Uh, also, <clears throat> you know, market manipulation. Uh, is there going to be some market manipulation charges there? So that'll be, It'll be interesting to see how this all shakes out, man. I mean, I'm not making him out to be the bad guy. I'm just saying there's a, you know, I know he's saying he they wanted to stick it to the man, but he also kind of became, he's trying to stick it to, right? He got rich on on the backs of, of everyone else. Um, you know, and some people are like, oh, you know, he's lucky or he was fortunate. But man, if I had three, if I had a page of 3 million people and I said, hey, go buy 10 shares of this stock and, and you know, and I'm in the business that I'm in, and and I make a fortune on it. Uh, SEC is going to be knocking at my door the next day, going, uh, "Cease and desist, surrender, and you're going to federal prison for violating you know these these market manip market manipulation and front running policies that we have." And I'll be like, "Yep, yep, I knew it was coming." Yeah, it's interesting. I I wish I completely understood that. Again, it's. I'll make my girls listen to this and I'm going to say, I, I need you to, when, when you're 20 years older than that right now, you need to understand what he's talking about. I, 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 I do and I don't. And it's, it's kind of frustrating. Well, and Neil, one of the big difference is too, if we can, if we can say we can call it what it is, there's a difference between investing and speculating. So investing is, you know, you have a long-term plan. It's not super, super sexy. It's just like you described with your retirement plan. That is, you know, you're in it for the long haul. Speculating is just that, hey, I think I'm going to get a quick, I'm going to get a quick pop or a quick return on this. And so I'm, you know, I'm going to gamble that this thing is going to go up, even though there may be no basis for it. 
And that's the the AMC stuff was just speculation. There is, I mean, the games, well, AMC, AMC and GameStop was speculation. There was no real reason, no fundamental reason that GameStop's stock price should have been at 500 other than the fact that a bunch of people piled into it and bid the price up. So it's basic economics. If, you know, if the demand for something is increasing, the price of that product is also going to increase. Well, the demand for GameStop stock was going through the roof and so did the price, but there was no fundamental reason. It'd be like me telling you, Hey, Neil, I got this gallon of milk and I'm, I'm going to sell it to you for, for 10 bucks. You normally would not pay $10 for a gallon of milk, right? Right. But if I convinced you that the supply of milk was going to go down or that, you know, a bunch of people were going to start paying, you know, eight and 10 and $12 and 15 and $20 for this gallon of milk. I bet you I could probably sell you a gallon of milk for 10 bucks. If you believe that someone else was going to buy it from you for 20, even though milk is still $3, there was no fundamental reason, you know, nothing changed to make the value of the milk go up to 20 bucks other than me hyping it up and saying someone else is going to buy this from you $20. And then you take the sucker bet and end up losing it's just yeah. speculate. Makes sense. All right. Another topic that's been going for a while now, and we've dedicated a couple of shows to it. We've talked about it a lot, and that's Bitcoin. Um, there are people who are like, oh, boy, you, you watch the way the markets are being manipulated, and you see you know, um, stimulus packages and tax cuts and the, the, the volatile nature of the, of the dollar and the futures in Bitcoin. And for a while, Bitcoin just took off and it soared in its value. But now it's it's on the other side of that roller coaster. It's going wee straight down the hill, and it feels like it feels like it's on a ride that never really stops. It just goes up and down, up and down, up and down, just super volatile. <laughs> yep. Like you just and after a while, it almost kind of makes you like sick to your stomach if you're trying to really follow it. Uh, what have been your thoughts on what's happened with? with Bitcoin and the different types of cryptocurrency over the course of the last couple of weeks when as, as so many people are watching the market and trying to, as you said, kind of trying to speculate and, and, and make a quick buck. And a lot of people are putting a lot of, of their money into Bitcoin and in many cases they're losing it. Yeah. You know, and there was, there was one that kind of coincided the same time as the GameStop and the AMC. There, there was the picture of it with the dog and it's called Dogecoin. It was called Dog Ecoin, and I was corrected by someone who is a uh, who is a more knowledgeable person in the crypto space <laughs> than me. Um, it kind of had that same effect, you know. Uh, it was like maybe in some of the forums there was, "Hey, everyone, go buy this Doja Coin," and and it popped up. But let's we won't spend a whole lot of time talking about it. Let's spend more time talking about the you know the twenty five thousand, or maybe I should actually call it as of right now. It is ten thirty nine a.m on Thursday, February 4th, and Bitcoining is trading at $36,743. Um, you know, you can, that's how much U.S. dollars you have to pay for a Bitcoin. You know, when we did the show um, 31 and Marcos <clears throat> timestamped um, the Bitcoin then, it was like at 28000 And it made a run all the way up to 40000 um, You know, and then it came back down to the low 30s, and now it's up at thirty six. So it is... It is very volatile, Neil, and I think that anyone that's looking at, you know, having Bitcoin or, or any type of digital currency in their portfolio, 
you know, has to accept that there's going to be, at least in the interim, you know, a large degree of fluctuation and volatility. Um, I've been trying to learn more and more about digital currencies and, and, and the coins and the blockchain. And one of the things that is really fascinating to me about Bitcoin is um, like with U.S. dollars, you can just the government could print more money and more money and more money and just continue to print dollars, which is what we've been doing for a little while, right? So if, um, let's go back to basic, basic econ 101. So if I just continue to print more dollars, but there's no printing the more dollars, that means that there's more, there's more supply in the market. Um, so the value of, of that dollar or even if it was milk, if milk was oversupplied, if the grocery store bought way too much milk and they needed to get rid of their milk, what do they do? They reduce the price, right? Until they find a price point where people will come in and say, well, you know, gosh, I've got, I've got enough milk, but man, if I can buy a gallon for a dollar, I might as well go get another gallon and the price would settle at a dollar. So as we print more money, it's like, it's like the grocery store ordering too much milk. Then they need to. We need to figure out well, what's the real value of the dollar, and it's going to go down until it settles, you know, at a price. The thing with Bitcoin is there is there's only 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist. So the supply of Bitcoin is fixed. It will never be more than what it is, which is fascinating to me because that means just by proxy that it, at some point the price because the supply is, is steady and current, the demand will, will, will continue term. So the price is just going to go up long term. Now it's going to take a roller coaster ride, you know, in between, but one of the things that, you know, people, uh, seem to be, uh, I keep reading seems to be a really good use of it is, you know, when folks are not confident in, in the, the currency in the country they live in. So, I was talking to a gentleman the other day, and he is Peruvian, talking about all of the immigrants that have been coming from Venezuela who, you know, have had huge, huge political and economic um, troubles in the last several years to where, you know, they've had hyperinflation in, you know, their currency because oil was their main resource when the price of oil dried up. They couldn't generate as much income in the country, uh, and so people thought the the Venezuelan currency was was let what was worth less um, because you know the their debt they didn't think they would be able to service their debts and service all the things they needed to with a falling amount of money you know a, a declining paycheck so it was more risk therefore people required more Venezuelan currency to buy the same amount of goods I'll break it into an easy to understand example. Um, I read an article about uh, a church, Catholic church in Venezuela. They used to take an offering up on Sundays. And prior to the fall of oil and hyperinflation, all the offering they took up for the orphans on Sundays would buy the, all the eggs they needed for that week to be able to, to buy, to get, to feed them breakfast. Well, by the time they came through the hyperinflation period, they would get the same amount of, of money each Sunday but they could only buy a half a day's worth of eggs because the, you know, whoever's selling the eggs demanded more money per egg because the currency was getting less valuable. So anyway, I said all that to say, 
you know, he was talking about these immigrants coming from Venezuela. They were turning a lot of them away because they came with Venezuelan currency and they're saying that's worthless here. Uh, but the guys that came with hard drives with Bitcoin on them and Bitcoin, you can buy in, in um, you know, you don't have to buy an entire one Bitcoin. You can buy a percentage of Bitcoins, but people outside of the U.S. have already been using it as a as a sustainable storage of value so that, you know, the value of a Bitcoin in Venezuela is the same value of Bitcoin in, uh, you know, in Peru. And it kind of, it takes away the, the inflation piece of it. So it's been interesting to see, you know, one of the reasons Bitcoin in U.S. dollars has gone up so much is because the value of the U.S. dollar has been declining. Um, and the more stimulus we do and the larger our deficit gets, you know, the more risk that we have of, quote unquote, not being able to pay our debts, um, you know, is it increases. So therefore, it, I could see a long term um, path for for something like a Bitcoin or a digital currency to, you know, to have a long term uh, piece of a portfolio. I just hadn't we haven't figured out, you know, for our day, our normal clients, there's not a vehicle yet to be able to put Bitcoin in all of the portfolios. It's just not it's not out there that I'm willing to, to invest into. So, yeah, it's a, it's, um, it's I know a long diatribe, man. Um, but that's, that's kind of the, that's kind of the basis of the, I mean, I was, I was not all about digital currencies until uh, Marcus gave me, you know, he kind of started to change me a little bit. So. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I just, it's, um, it's a fascinating topic and the people that, that are into that are, um, it almost feels like they speak in a different language sometimes, and so it's it's yeah. it's a con- it's some a of them confusing are extremists, thing. man. Um, yeah. I like the people that yeah. can talk to me in English because I still don't understand all of it. So yeah, they, they there's there's definitely uh, I've had an experience with it this week. They're, they are uh, they're, they're they're definitely <laughs> we're going to talk about it a little. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's one of those things. I mean, you know, it's uh, they're definitely extremists. That's that's what they are. They're they're they are definitely extremist, and um, they I'll, I'll give them credit. They believe in it, you know. Yeah, but yeah, and it's it's a buzzword right now, man. It's like you know, if you've got that's what you're going to talk about to all. You're like, hey, man, I bought Bitcoin at you know sixteen thousand. It makes people look really smart, right? And you know, because most people still don't own Bitcoin and in their or or any digital currency or asset in their portfolios yeah so it's that kind of that's that exclusivity man that i think gives a little people some people the ego uh that they're special or something like that yeah that's for sure um anything else you want to touch on today no man i mean i think well let's can we talk about amc real quick because we focused a whole lot on GameStop. i want to say i think there is a difference between the two and i know amc is getting crushed um you know it got pumped by some of these forums, but I, I really do. I think AMC has what's what we call a going concern, meaning that, you know, that they, they are going to be sustainable, um, you know, business-wise long-term. Look, I mean, and, and maybe I'm biased, but I love going to the movies, but none of the production companies have been releasing their new releases yet. So, you know, the movie theaters are kind of hamstrung. They're just, the ones that are open are just showing like old movies, which I, I was able to go see Empire Strikes Back on the, big screen which was kind of cool uh because i never got to see that uh you know when i was a kid on the big screen so that was kind of a cool experience but you know i think once 
once new releases are back out, like, you know, when Top Gun 2 is released, when, um, you know, the new Thor is released, or, or any of the big blockbusters are able to be shown in theaters, they'll, they'll start turning the corner. I'm not saying they're going to be booming and profitable right out of the gate, you know, and maybe if the vaccine stuff gives some confidence to people to start getting back out and moving around, you know, a company like AMC has a path out. GameStop is Blockbuster 2.0. Yes. And very, very clear. So yeah, if, if, you haven't, if you haven't already made money on GameStop, you're not going to make it. Yeah, unless you're shorting it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it goes to zero. <laughs> um, but anyway, that's we didn't talk about AMC, and I, I, just, I wanted to throw that out there, that I think there is a difference between the two. GameStop is Blockbuster. AMC will limp along and it'll probably be a while before they have profitability again, but, but they're not going to go out of business. Yeah. I think the day comes back when people go to movies and, and I mean, I, I, frankly, I think the day comes back when people actively get out and do a lot of things, when people do a lot of catch up on bucket list type stuff. I, I mean, I, I don't, they're, they're, I think that's already, beginning to happen to some degree it's causing it's causing fights and people are pushing back and you know my theory on this that once people have accrued power giving that power away relinquishing that power is very difficult you know the people are doubling down on the wear two masks and don't don't go to a super bowl party and beat you know all that stuff and i just think there's a large portion of the american public that's like nope i'm not doing it anymore i'm i'm i'm, I'm done and we could in fact, that's probably something we ought to talk about next week is there is this this chasm that's wider, I think, than ever before of, of people who are just done versus people who are have been so scared now for the almost a year that getting past that fear is going to be a real challenge for them. It's going to be there's, – there's, I'll tell you, I don't know if there's a stock for it, but the mental health profession, like yeah. telehealth, telemental health, might be a stock tip. Those people are going to make money. Those people are going to be slammed with. I do think there's going to be a cottage industry for um, health professionals, specifically counseling and, and that type thing for people who on the other side of the pandemic just don't know how to start living again. I do. I think that's that's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, and, and it might be. It might be interesting to bring people people on that are in the the mental health business. If and I realize a lot of them are slammed right now, <laughs> might not be able to give us you know thirty minutes or or an hour. I have a couple of contacts I'll I'll reach out to and see if they'd be. Well, it might be a nighttime kind of thing when they're not at work. But I I think that. Uh, but I think my point is I think for a lot of those people and and this is where Zoom is has changed the game. Um, yeah. You know I think a lot of those people could almost start up cottage businesses of their own uh, that, that meet with people in after hours. I, I, you see it on the internet. It's one of the things, and I don't know how much longer I have left on Twitter after my experiences this week, probably not long. But one of the things, if you ever allow yourself to go into a thread where they're debating about you know, reopening schools or they're debating about masks or whatnot, there are people that are really political on both sides, certainly. No doubt. That's not going away. It's never going away. They're going to fight about something all the time. But there are people that are legitimately scared. Whether you think that fear is is is, is uh, valid validated or not, whether you think that fear is is legitimate or not, doesn't matter. They're legitimately frightened. 
to yeah. go back out. They're scared to send their children to school. They're scared to go back to work. They're scared to leave their house. And at some point, you're going to have to. And it's going to be it's going to be really fascinating. So that might actually be. There's a couple of topics that I'd love to dive into in the next couple of months that are pandemic related. One is about mental health, and the other is about. Um, and thank God we don't live in a state where this has happened, but there are, there are young people in our country who've basically missed a year of school now and don't give me the virtual school stuff. It doesn't work. They've missed a year of school and well, and, and, and it, the, the it's gap in our for them too, Neil, I mean the school right down the street from my house, the public school right down the street from my house, you know, it used to, I used to hit traffic every morning taking my kid, my kids schools are out of, of, uh, of, of the public, pub, the elementary school, the public elementary school. And, um, Man, there have not been kids at that school since spring break of last year, and we're at spring break. I, and I, I believe they're doing vert. And I may be, they may have gone back in, in January. I, I haven't seen the traffic, man. So I just don't believe that they went. They went. And that's something that's easy to fact check. But, but yeah, the Jackson Public Schools. I don't think they're. I don't think that they're back person to person. Oh wow! See, I, is, I didn't realize that. I think that's a crime. Um, I think yeah. those, I, I'll, I'll fact check okay. that before I go open my mouth, which I already did open my mouth, but oh, that's okay. We'll, we'll, <laughs> I'll fact, but man, the buses are not running through my neighborhood and yeah, it's a and, shame. And there are not lines of cars for carpool drop off or pickup in the afternoon. And I, I, I drop my kids off at school every morning. So, all right, well, we'll, we'll touch, we'll touch on those subjects here in the next few weeks. Um, we'll wrap that up there. I know you've got some stuff to do at a hard stop. I kind of do too. So. We'll, uh, we'll yeah, stop man. there. At, uh, Life is crazy right now yeah. <laughs> in a good way. That's good. Um, all right. So for Martin Palomo, I'm Neil McCready. That does it for this edition of Mind on My Money presented by Pinnacle Trust. Don't forget it's pintrust.com, P-I-N-N trust.com. Mention that you heard about Pinnacle Trust on the podcast. You'll get 10% off your first year's fees. Until next time, stay safe, take care, talk to you soon.